If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swentoski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. So here's a topic we've been sitting on for quite a while now. Tonight we're here to talk about taking photos and videos about camera gear tripods, keeping that camera gear safe but available, and maybe even a few tips on taking a good fish selfie. Photography is something that we see most anglers get into, at least a little bit. I've often described the fish selfie as the grand compromise of catch and release fishing. We don't kill the trout and take it home to show it off to friends anymore, but we do want to share some of the best trout and our most memorable situations on the river. So we take photos and videos. We might share them with hundreds of other people, strangers even, online. But for many anglers, their photography is as much for their own memory, for their own scrapbook of time, of the places they've seen and the experiences they've had. So we plan for these trips. We look forward to them. We tie flies. We think about leaders, buy gear, and read books about the region and the tactics. And when we finally get our boots in the water, we want to document those experiences especially when the stars align and something remarkable happens. Now, digital photography has made all of this so much easier. Capturing photo and video, processing it with software, and sharing it with others has been simplified. And again, I think every angler I meet has some of their favorite moments with them at all times, as photos on their phone. And of course, the smartphone has become a great tool for photography on the water. Plenty of the flagship devices boast the highest resolutions. They can capture underwater photography easily, to a point, and they present no additional burden to carry around. But as anyone who's pressed a manual shutter understands, cell phone photos always lack a few key ingredients, too. So, more than ever, I meet people who not only take simple photos on their phone, but they carry 
dedicated camera gear to. Fly fishing attracts the creative types. That's true. And many anglers enjoy going down the roads and branches of photography, learning and creating records of their time on the water, and sharing it with others. Photography, then, is just another aspect of this game that enriches the experience for so many of us. All of us here at Trout Pitten consider it part of the day. However, carrying camera gear isn't really a natural match with going fishing. You know what I mean? And I think it's fair to say that none of us wants the photography aspect to get in the way of our actual fishing either. So I'm a fisherman first, and then I'll try to be a photographer. That's how I think about it. Now, Josh Darling might be a little different, right? We'll introduce him in a moment. Anyway, photos and videos have been part of the trout pitting experience from the beginning. Since 2014, we've tried to show all the reasons these rivers call to us, not just show the trout themselves. So I'm fortunate to have some talented photographers as friends, and these guys are here with me tonight. I continue to learn from them every day about the topics that we have on tap tonight. Photos, videos, and fishing, cameras, the fish selfie, and more. So guys, let's introduce everyone by answering a quick question on this topic. What device or camera do you use the most on the water? I know some of us carry multiple options, but what do you use the most? Austin Dando, here he is. What do you, what do you use the most, bud? Sure. I've been carrying for a long time now uh, a Nikon D7000, which is mm-hmm. old technology, but with a good lens, it captures some great photos. Okay, cool. What kind of camera is that? It's a DSLR. Right on. Uh, Josh Darling, who owns Wilds Media, probably our best expert this evening. You know. What do you shoot with the most? Almost every time I'm out there, I'm carrying my Canon R5, which is like the mirrorless version of the, the 5D series. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use your phone anymore? Mm. <laughs> I'll use my phone for like quick snaps to friends and stuff like that, or mm-hmm. if something's happening real quick. And I just want to remember that moment. I'll use my mm-hmm. phone for that kind of thing. But when I have the time, I, I almost always pull the camera out. You know what's funny? You guys have all sent pictures of your screen on your DSLR <laughs> yeah. or on your mirrorless, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. <Yep>. <laughs> you guys have all done that. <laughs> all right. Hey, uh, Bill Dell, what do, you, uh, what do you shoot with the most? Um, if I'm truly out for a day of photography, I'll take my R5. Yeah. But when I fish probably 70% of the time I use a Canon RP mm-hmm. because it's a little bit lighter. So I have the RP upon your recommendation and Josh, you helped me out a little bit there. That's what, that's what I could afford and I'm not trying to carry a big rig. But to be honest, and you guys know this, I haven't even been carrying that too much lately. I, I've been wearing a GoPro a lot, which has its own, you know, ups and downs, failings. And then I use my phone a lot. And, uh, Whatever. You can get some things done. You can't get it all done. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get back to all of those camera options, I'm sure. But before we take off on this conversation, let's squeeze in a listener question real quick. A bunch of them came in. Uh, when we did all the tight line, your nymphing rig stuff, um, we've been talking a lot about nymphs and streamers lately because it's that time of the year, too. Um, most of the, even our blue wing olive hatch is almost completely gone. It's up two risers in the last two days. So this question comes from Ryan by way of email. Didn't say where he was from. He says, hey, Dom, I was nymphing the other day, and it took me a few presentations through the same bit of water to get and eat. I am generally able to keep the flies in the same seam as the tippet and indicator, but the small refinements in depth and exact placement on the successive attempts 
often make a big difference. I rarely get a bite on repeated presentations with a streamer, though, but it happens frequently with nymphs. I think the trout are seeing the nymph each time it goes through their part of the strike zone and are actually rejecting insufficient presentations before they do take a good one. So, why do you think trout reject nymphs differently than they reject streamers? And do you think trout will reject a good presentation on a nymph if it has recently seen a poor presentation on that same fly? After that, Ryan says some nice things about trout pitting in the podcast and, <laughs> and you guys. And you don't need to hear that about yourselves. <laughs> so we appreciate that, Ryan. Thanks very much. Uh, guys, what do you think? There's a few questions in there. We've talked about this before. I think it depends on the pressure. If it's a pressured river and you throw a bad presentation, sometimes that fish won't eat. Yeah. The streamer, I feel like it's either, a lot of times it's a yes or a no. Right on. As far as mm-hmm. like the, the, the fish is going to either eat it or not. Where the nymph, there are days where it feels like maybe it's three cast, maybe it's 20 cast, mm. but, and it differs on a dip, you know, every day. But I think it's just the, the nymph's a smaller food form. And so the fish mm. isn't going to move as far for it, I guess, is kind of what comes to mind to me. Yeah. You know, I think that we've talked about it a lot that the streamer asks quite a bit from the trout mm. that a nymph does not. And it may be moving, it may just be making an effort to, uh, eat something more aggressively or, yeah. um, you know, do anything like that. But a nymph is certainly less intimidating and less <laughs> uh, threatening of a, a food form than a streamer is. Um, I don't know if it's, it could be a million things as to why that trout eats on the seventh drift and not the first, if the first seemed just as good. Now on the surface, it may look just as good, but beneath, uh, mm-hmm. it's hard to tell. You, you can never be sure because, Uh, As much as we try to stay in one seam and and try to stay in one lane all the way down through the column, those small little microcurrents, you can't predict everything. And sometimes it lines up perfect and uh, may appear to be exactly the same as the drift before. Mm -hmm. So there's there's no real great answer I feel like I can offer. I think, Bill, you kind of mentioned it. The trout's willingness to move. Like we're talking, I think in a lot of instances, a trout doesn't want to move even a few inches, you know, they want to sit right where they're at and they're sitting there because they think that's where the food's going to come to me. And so it's tough to tell if you're two inches higher or two inches lower on your drift, three inches Mm -hmm. higher, three inches lower, you might be able to find the same seam, but it's, it it can be difficult to read that, that exact depth. And and if that's the case, then you might be going right over the trout and he's Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get out of my position for that. Yeah. It can seem like the exact same drift. And yeah. yet, mm. but Ryan yeah. acknowledges too here, even in his, in his question, he feels like, you know, he tries to get each drift better and better. And then all of a sudden, bang, we all experience that on nymphs. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you guys. You, you mentioned the size for me. I think it's maybe almost as simple as that. You say it's a big ask for the trout to eat. Something. Think about how much bigger your number six woolly bugger is than your number 16 beadhead pheasant tail. What right. is it, like 20 yeah. times larger, probably, <laughs> mass-wise? I mean, really, it is. And so there's a lot there for them to reject. That's the way I think about it. On a streamer, there's a lot for them to see and go, well, that's fake. I'm not eating that. And then once they see it, then you're not going to convince them the second, third, fifth time, certainly not. But the nymph, perhaps, the average nymph, is uh, small enough for them to maybe be convinced. Uh, <laughs> do you think we could ever create a hatch? Like in a river runs through it, 
right? Shadow casting. <laughs> <laughs> I've hey, tried look. it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> look at all these nymph drifts over and over and over. Yeah. Look, yeah. there's a hatch. <laughs> Can't do that with a streamer, but I could actually maybe believe you could do that with a dry fly or a nymph. Uh-huh. If you cast fast enough. <laughs> I think today it seemed like when I was switching between nymphs and streamers, but when I nymphed, yeah. they really wanted it downshifted. It couldn't tick on the bottom, oh, I know. but it felt like I had to ride it like perfectly like an inch off the bottom. Oh, buddy, I'm with you. Yeah. And downshifted. Mm-hmm. Like I, if I threw like the standard springtime presentation through there, they wouldn't, they weren't quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. But like if I maybe came through, let's say three quarters the speed of the current, then it seemed like they were more apt to eat it. Right on. That's yeah. often my standard presentation speed, let's say, all the way through the wintertime. And it's already started for me. And I've seen it on my guide trips. I've seen it when I've been out yeah. fishing for myself. Yeah, I feel like it's around this time that I start to more and more use drop shot than I do the rest of the year. Mm, that too. But you know, I'm with Bill too. Like if I mm, Lately, I, I still haven't been going drop shot. Because, well, I've been fishing a lot of the egg patterns, right? But not do drop shot on an egg. It's like my favorite way to fish an egg. Is it? Isn't that yeah. something? Everything yeah. works sometimes. <laughs> and you catch all the little ones, and I'm aiming for the big ones. Well, that, that's part of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're still in training. Mm-hmm. Don't take that, Josh. Well, I'm just, I'm just a... I'm a photographer. I'm a, I'm a photographer. <laughs> just, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> I make those little ones look real big. <laughs> Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the Trout Bitten crew has a case of New Trail Broken Heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. To tie the best flies, you need the best materials. With decades of commercial fly tying experience, Fooling Mill understands what it takes to tie a great fly. Over the past several years, they've worked hard to source and prepare a range of fly tying materials that will elevate your experience at the vise. Fooling Mill fly tying materials have arrived with a range of over 1,400 products. You'll find the staples like marabou, bucktail, and rabbit sonker strips. You'll also find CDC, stripped peacock quills, 12 dubbing ranges, synthetics, chenilles, yarns, and wools. All fulling mill materials come in an extensive range of colors that are consistently dyed. So what you receive from them tomorrow will be the same color next year. Their materials go through a rigorous quality control process. So before they're packaged and shipped out, you can be sure they're up to the highest quality standards. Ask for Fooling Mill fly tying materials at your local dealer or find them online at foolingmill.com. Anyway, before we turn this into a uh, nymphing podcast, let's get to that, right? <laughs> it's easily done. We've established that I catch bigger trout. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. And you take better <laughs> photos. It's, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, seriously, for anybody who doesn't already know, Josh Darling here is uh, owner of Wilds Media and he does. Oh, what, 95% of the video work for Trout Bitten? Maybe more than that to this point. 
and uh, takes a lot of great photos. So does Austin. Austin takes a lot of great photos. Bill takes a lot of great photos. But Josh is the uh, video guy. He's the expert. And uh, he's pretty much the expert. All right, so uh, let's do this. Uh, where should we start on this topic, guys? Let me point out that we won't get into one aspect of this very deeply this evening. Just like we did with the streamer fishing, with fly time, with night fishing, and with other topics through the years now of this podcast, we're starting with a general kind of podcast. And then in the future, we might break out some of these main topics around photography and cameras into their own full-fledged podcast episodes. But let's start here. How about this? Carrying camera gear. Now, I ask you guys, and Bill, you had some good ideas about maybe where we should take this podcast. And I thought maybe carrying the camera gear, as you suggested, might be a good first thing to talk about. Uh, You all mentioned already what camera you use the most. So we also acknowledge that we don't want camera gear to be in the way. We do want it to be accessible. Uh, So how do you blend those two competing principles? How do you carry your stuff? So I keep a I keep a dedicated pack for just for camera gear, and it is a hip do. pack, and yeah. um, and it's something that I've tried a lot of iterations of over the years, and yeah. and it, I mean a hip pack is what I keep coming back to, and uh, r- right now I'm using the Sims Dry Creek Z, I think it's called, mm-hmm. and the reason for using that is because you can remove the belt that they currently had that they build into it. It's Velcroed mm-hmm. in there. And you can remove it and you could put it on your own belt, which is important to me because I want to be able to rotate the pack around itself without rotating mm. uh, without rotating the whole belt because it's, right. it's a huge pain to rotate the whole belt right, right. around your waders and you twist them up. Easy access then, just yeah. rotate around. I've seen you do it. Yeah, and truthfully, I usually keep it on my right hip because it's out of the way and mm-hmm. um, I'm not often running into anything by having it there. And, uh, and oftentimes I don't even have to move it then mm-hmm. and it's only when I want it out of the way that I'll move oh. it to my back. So it stays on the side. I stay, I keep it on the side. Yeah, I keep it on my side. Okay. And that's, and that's because my favorite way to use it, it, it's because my favorite way to use my net is with the Smith Creek net holster. Mm. And, uh, and I want that to be right on my, right on my back. Center your back. Yeah, exactly. So I do keep it off to the side and usually what that means is I don't actually have to rotate it, which is helpful. And I thought that that'd be a pain, but it's, when it's on your hips, Mm -hmm. it's just not enough to wait to really be a problem, even with a even with a full-size camera and lens. So do you have that on your standard waiter belt? Is that what you're saying? When I you do. You but could I, take that one out. Well, yes. You yes, say standard I, waiter belt. Yeah, I, I do ahead, have a Josh. very beefy waiter belt. And yeah. you could remind me of the mm-hmm. brand name, Dom, but I think we use the same one. It's the. It, I don't know that the brand actually matters, but it is Blackhawk. I buy it on Amazon. It's a military-grade kind of – it's a utility belt for uh, – I don't know, police officers and military right. guys. It's, it's tougher than, any, it's it's, tougher than any, yeah. any waiting belt that's made. Yeah. It's for sure. built, you know, for not okay. sagging when you put heavy yeah. things on it. But you, yeah, you choose what you want to use on that yes. pack. Right. Nice. But if you're going to carry a full-size camera, like you need it to be something pretty dang sturdy. Yes. Because otherwise yeah. it's going to sag a lot. And if it sags, it, the pack won't rotate around like you want it to. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come with a pad, so I put... Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, oh, what's that? What's the company mm-hmm. uh, name? OPST makes a hit pack, and they actually like designed it with camera in mind. If you look at their, if you look at their advertising, like they they show it to mm-hmm. use a camera, and so they they put a uh, padded insert in there with pockets for like batteries and stuff. And uh, I bought that pack a while ago, and 
it's not perfect. It was fine, but it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a roll top pack, which is a kind of a pain. Yeah. It um, is. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the uh, the in- padded insert I've used for years now, the same one. And I put it in every hip pack I get because it pads the camera. And so if I take a spill, you know, if I fall, it's not going to, well, I mean, it could still break the camera, but chances are less likely when it's just banging around on my hip sure. that it's going to get injured. So so you're talking about your main camera right there on your hip, in the bag, in the, under yes. the padding or behind the padding. Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of money in that pack. Like it's know really important that it stays dry. <laughs> but then know? when you and I film, you often have a backpack. You usually have a backpack with even more gear in there. Sometimes you get your drone in there. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I mean, how many photographers, you know, videographers are out there listening to this? I'm sure there's going to be some, and that'll be very helpful yeah. to them. I don't know how much in detail we want to get, you know, to that. I can describe it pretty quick. Go ahead. Yeah, do it. So there are nicer ones. Like if you really want to spend some money on a camera pack that might be a little bit more uh, able to handle the the conditions that you're doing if you're spending a lot of time outside filming, then you might yeah. want to look at something like Shimoda um, Design makes a outdoor hiking pack that is water resistant mm. and is for cameras. It's more expensive. I have the Low Pro Tactic. Um, I can't remember what size mine is, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's the biggest Low Pro Tactic bag, and it does have a rain cover built into it. And so if that becomes a problem, you can do that. But it uh, you can compartmentalize it however you want to keep your stuff, and you can access it from the sides and the back. And when we're filming or especially when we're doing something like when we're going to be hiking in a ways and when I want to have more gear with me, mm-hmm. I, uh, that's what I keep most of the stuff. And I still wear my hip pack so that I can have quick access to the camera. But I've got a second camera, additional lenses, lenses. the drone, all the batteries, all the cards, all the filters, everything that you might need in, in that backpack. And that works pretty well. Like when we're doing the fish and film stuff, that's what I carry. And and that's why you work out every day so that you can carry that stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. that thing is heavy, dude. <laughs> I've been heavy. like, whoa. <laughs> I, heavy. He, yeah. Josh, help me pick this up. <laughs> yeah, heavy. that stuff gets pretty heavy. It does. That's a good description. I mean, yeah. You could carry even more, but you're, you're You certainly kinda... could, but you don't want to carry too much out there. I've seen you refine your system. Yes. The reason I don't use something like the Shimoda... Um, uh, camera bags are they've got a big robust built-in hip belt and that gets in the way of my my fishing system and so i don't use something like that but i couldn't use my net holster and i couldn't use my i couldn't yeah. use my waterproof pack with it yeah and all that so so Della, you got some great ideas too in the way that you carry stuff yeah so i like the fish pond they just actually came out with it it was literally after we had our josh and i were complaining about no one is creating like the perfect hip pack and they so listened like literally <laughs> yeah literally like three weeks mm-hmm. a month or so after our podcast complaining which i think it was just coincidence um fish pond came out with a thunderhead hey now. uh small thunderhead, thunderhead. um thunderhead. we're back to small this. small waist pack so it's yeah. come to this and <laughs> It is absolutely <laughs> so it juvenile. Sorry. Austin started it. And uh, anyway, it's perfect for the camera system that I carry. And it's it's just big enough that I can fit a fly box or something else in it that I need. Instead of, Josh talked about like padding his yeah. with like an insert of some sort. What I do is I just take a kind of microfiber towel that's maybe, I don't know, 10 by 12, mm-hmm. 
And I put that around my camera and then I put it in there because when you take fish pictures, your hands are always wet. That's a good and point. So, mm. And so I need something to clean off the lens or to, you know, if it's raining out, if it's, I don't know, there's so yeah. many times that that lens gets smudgy, whether yeah. it be fog or anything. And so you fish always kicks have, water at it. Yep, exactly. Right. That's a great point. And so, yeah, yeah. that's kind of how I have it. Um, when I'm, when I go out, like tr- when I'm truly photographing, I have a, I have a book bag that I can fit multiple lenses in it. That is like, I think tall makes it, it's like a 25, 25 liter backpack. And it's kind of the same thing. What Josh mm. is talking about where lenses I can put multiple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, when I'm fishing, I tend to carry prime lenses because they shoot faster, hmm. but you're stuck at a fixed width. Is So prime lens means that it is 24 millimeters or 18 or whatever mm-hmm. millimeters at all times yeah, yeah. versus like a, a zoom lens. No zoom, yeah. But they shoot faster. And so hmm. when I mean by it shoots faster, you can stop it down with the f-stop hmm. And it will blur out the background more. It'll create more separation between your fish and the background. And it'll put more bokeh in the images. That's a big deal right there. Yeah. I think you just hit on a real big difference uh, between, I think, what we all perceive as, oh, that's a quality photo versus, I think that's an average photo. Right? You guys want to... Yeah, the cell uh, phone can't do that so much. No. It can fake it. It it try, It You're fakes right. it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look as professional or as nice. And like, like you, you just can, said about those low F stops, that's a big, I mean, that's that's it, right? Depth of field kind of comes from that for the most part. Yeah. So my 24 millimeter shoots down to F 1.8. Mm-hmm. And so that also means that I can reduce the ISO in the image, meaning mm-hmm. reduce the grain. And so mm-hmm. I'll get a cleaner image. I just have to be cautious of that focal plane like you were talking about mm, where is it yeah you got to find your focus yeah. like you, ideally if you were taking a picture of the fish would you where would you want that focus on the eye on the if, eye if, right yeah. maybe let's say you hold the fish's head mm-hmm. i don't know forward and the tail is backwards it's literally where at that f stop the head will be in focus and mm-hmm. then the rest of the body will be blurry you could even and have so it so you, low that, and especially if you have a big fish like I always catch, then the head's so big. Yeah. That's part of the head would be out of focus. <laughs> <Unbelievable. laughs> yeah. No. Shameless. So we're going to get into uh, exposure triangle and all of that. But just briefly, the F stops, that'd be aperture, right? That's your aperture setting. And yep. lower aperture, you generally get that wide depth of field. Shallower. Shallow yeah. depth Shallower. of field. Shallower. Yep. Thank you. And so you'll get more blurry background, more definition between the levels of your uh, subject. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Why am I talking instead of you? <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. So. Austin, you want to say anything before we move on? How do you carry your... Sure. Uh, you, dude, I know you used to take your camera and put it right down in your waders. <laughs> I've come a long way since then. <laughs> That was the worst. That was the worst solution I've ever it's seen. It's a bad look. I know. That was terrible. I dude, I used to take a dry bag, roll down, and tie paracord like a necklace and stick it in my waders and put the yeah. paracord around my neck just that. in case it dropped out. But anyhow, Bill gave me actually the pack that I use now. Hmm. And uh, it's sort of a ragtag solution 
but it's called a, the brand is Overboard and it's a smaller yeah. roll down pack uh, that can still fit. I carry an 18 to 200 lens, so it's big and heavy, uh, but it can fit that camera uh, lens and body. And I put it inside a Ziploc because the, the Overboard bag is not exactly watertight, but it's mm-hmm. 90% <laughs> there. So I uh, put that inside a Ziploc hmm. and then put that in the Overboard and stretch a, a waist pack so it goes around and sits on the small of my back. There's all these things, right? You want to keep it right. protected, but you want to keep it accessible. I use an ape case. I'm on my like third ape case. When I actually carry the camera instead of just the... Uh, when I actually carry the camera, I use an ape <laughs> case. That's all you need to know about me. I'm not the expert here. Now let's get into the fish selfie then. What do you have, guys? Uh, uh, like I said in the intro, taking photos of some of our most memorable fish is important to us. I think it is to a lot of people. And now way back in the first season of the Trout Pitten Podcast, we published episode two. Episode two was titled How to Handle a Trout. And that was on September 26th, That's uh, 2021. Yeah. It's been a while, it's right, guys? Been. Isn't that something? Over two years ago. And in that conversation, we highlighted the keys to taking care of fish, safe handling in and out of the water. So that's its own discussion. We can't do that here. And it's, it's there for everyone to check out, though. And everything we'll talk about now, about, this, about taking a fish selfie, as we like to call it, uh, is predicated on releasing the fish unharmed. You got to do that right. Um, th- that's a given, even though it's not necessarily intuitive for the beginning angler or photographer. Um, take care of the fish, right? And there's podcasts and many other resources besides just the trout pitting resources to help you do that. But guys, uh, how do you, uh, what are your best tips for taking photos of the fish you catch? I'll let you guys go first. I do this differently than all of you. So, hmm. yeah. So if you want to do the fish selfie with like a, a DSLR or a mirrorless camera, um, the best solution I've found is I carry a small tripod. Mm-hmm. Once I catch the fish, I have a long handled net. And so a lot of times I can wedge that long handle net into the bank and that's something. And so that's I'll often <laughs> look, I'll often look for a place Mm-hmm. Even if I have to walk like maybe 10 or 15 feet or 20 to get to that spot where I can literally just stick that net into the bank and then it creates basically a live well. And so, so the, then fish the fish is submerged and that's cool. Yeah. Fish is submerged and I look for a spot that's kind of calm mm-hmm. so that the fish isn't getting pushed up against the net and it can just swim around. And so yes. then once I have the net wedged in there, I take out the tripod, put the camera on it. The tripod I have, like a quick release, there's a couple different kinds you can buy. But if you go to the Amazon or like a photography, like B&H photography, you can buy like quick releases where mm-hmm. you literally hit a button and your camera will release from your tripod. Mm-hmm. So I take it out, plop it on there. You do not have to screw it on then on the yep. tripod. Saves you 10 seconds. Yeah. Then, you know, put the camera on, flip it around. Flip what around, Bill? Yeah. That's what I'm getting to. Okay. The, uh, Don't get the ahead screen. of Austin. Sorry. Yeah. You just be patient, bud. <laughs> <laughs> the knowledge is coming. Hey, no. <laughs> the camera that I have, the RP, and basically any camera I'll probably buy moving forward, is it will always have a flip screen. Yeah. Because that flip screen allows you to see the focal point. Sure. And so that is huge. Like I've, I went huge. through two different cameras. That's what it is. Ahead of time. Once you flipped it around, then you can, you know, I use a remote trigger. Mm. You can your mouth. do like a time. 
in, in my mouth. Me and too. so basically I pick up, I pick up the fish, I hold it where the focal point of the camera is. And then I bite down on the button and it takes a picture. Mm-hmm. The reason I do that is all the DSLR cameras, when you hit the button on your camera, it will focus. And so mm-hmm. if you, if you hit the button and focus, if you don't, you know, you don't have the fish out of the water holding it where you want it. It's going to focus on your chest or something in the background. Yeah. You hit the button, you pick it up and, you know, many trial and errors that I ended up with very, very blurry fish and a beautiful in focus background <laughs> and yeah, me and the fish all blurry. So oh, yeah. it yeah, takes the, a lot of trial and error, right? It does. And so, yeah, the best, the best thing that I found is to pick it out of, you know, take the fish out, hold it where the focus point is and you can see that in the flippy screen and mm-hmm. then bite down on the button and you know takes the fish there's no delay like it's immediate take you know a couple pictures put the fish back in the water yeah good to go mm. we've often said just back to the fish handling that if the fish is not dripping it's been out of the water too long that's generally yeah. about five seconds if you really think about it you can seriously get this done in like five seconds. When people complain about, oh, you're taking fish pictures, you're hurting the fish. No, you're not. Not if you do it right. So I'll explain uh, my method, and this will be for anyone who does not have a screen that rotates or flips. Okay. And uh, I'm knuckle dragging on this, so bear Oh, with yeah. Me. Right. Go cannon, folks. <laughs> I'm on, I feel like I'm on a lonely island. You uh, are. And the only one Nikon. who owns a Nikon. Uh-huh. Austin's gonna jo- he's gonna join 24 is the year I'm working that way what's he gonna do in Patagonia <laughs> they're gonna make fun of him over there I'm gonna rent something are you really I'm gonna use an Atchis sketch I don't know anyhow so if you have a DSLR and uh, your screen doesn't flip around this is how you, I take fish photos mm. I used to carry a tripod I no longer do um, what I do is I, I catch a fish put it in the net and mm. then I walk over to the bank and um, I find a Shallow, not shallow. I find a calm spot, like Bill is explaining, and I stick the net uh, handle between my legs, and I hold the fish in front of me. Yeah. And I take my camera out, and I set it on a flat rock close to me. Ideally, I like that flat rock to be close to the water. I like a fish photo that the fish is close to the water. Uh, I don't really like it when I'm holding them up very high, at least recently. That's what I prefer visually, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's better for the fish. Mine is all based on a timer. I have to uh, do it all by sort of instinct. So I set the focus location on the screen, and then what I'll do is I'll put the camera in position, and I will lift my arm into the air close to the water where I'm going to lift the fish. When I lift my arm and put that in the plane that the same focus the fish will be in, (laughs) I press down on the trigger button of the camera and put it in focus. This is like 2015. Once I see it adjust on the lens... I then press down on the button and the timer starts. It's eight uh, seconds. I count a few seconds and then I lift the fish and I put it in the same plane my arm was in. The photo Hopefully. snaps. I do that one or two times and then I let the fish go. And usually one of them's crisp. Honestly, that that makes that makes the photos that you take so much more impressive. Because that is so much harder to do. It's a lot of vapor. (laughs) Yeah. He's knuckle dragging all the way back to 2015 right there. (laughs) That's just so one. The amount of work that you're doing to get a good picture of a fish is so unnecessary. (laughs) That's what Burke used to do. That was Burke's method. But yeah, it'd be nice to have the remote or a screen that I could could see what I'm doing. But this is all instinct. 
You can get a remote for 20 bucks. Oh, yeah. Not on mine. Ooh, yeah, no, can. I don't think you can do a remote on yours. I can't. Yeah, hmm. I hope that helps somebody. Knuckle <laughs> <laughs> draggers. It is so that here's the thing is that's that's a there's no excuse. Like if you've got a camera, it works because <laughs> every single <laughs> camera since like 2005 has a timer built into it, and you can oh, set true. a timer and you can do it. Yeah. Yep. Just be as dedicated as Austin. The shallow depth of field does not help me on that. No. Right. No. Yeah. You're sure. I try to yeah. uh, widen that. Sure. F-22. And so what's your F stop? I was going to say, seri- well, not that high. <laughs> no. Well, it's usually, uh, it's only like five or five to seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Four, four, yeah, yeah. Depending yeah. on the seven, light, sometimes that's hard. A lot, a lot of times, like it's in the morning, it's down to three sure. and a half because that's as sure. low as the lens will go on that uh, camera. And that's at mm-hmm. 18 millimeters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that, the year F stop on that is probably variable, huh? Yeah, it absolutely is. Yep. Yeah. So when it's I not, zoom, it changes. What, when you, the more essentially the more you spend on a lens, you, you can buy into this class of lens that is not variable. So it doesn't matter where you're at in the spectrum. Like if you've got a lens yeah. that zooms from let's say twenty four to seventy, because that's a common one, then it'll be your lowest will be two point eight at twenty four. It'll also be two point eight out all, all the way out at seventy. Hmm. I love yeah, that. That'd be amazing. You have to pay for that. You know, those are the nicer mm-hmm. lenses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hey, before we get to Josh's expert way of doing it. My uh, also knuckle dragging way of doing it mostly is using just just using my phone. Yes, I have a tripod, and I don't like to use the front camera because you know, like the selfie camera, it's not as mm-hmm. high a re- uh, resolution. The rear camera definitely looks better, and I'm just gonna be honest with you: the camera does a nice job of autofocusing on the fish. I think it finds its eye, and it focuses on it, and um, it usually does a pretty good job. Like Bill, I use the remote, and mine's a Bluetooth remote then. Um, and I'll take a couple shots that way. But I do something similar every once in a while, the way you do it, Josh. Go ahead. As fly anglers and tires, we understand the value of having the right tool for the job. AvidMax.com offers over 20,000 products and the knowledge to help you find the right tool for your job, whether that be at the tying bench or on the water. Listeners of the Trout Pitten Podcast receive a special one-time discount code at AvidMax.com. Enter the code TB10 at checkout on full-priced items to save 10% off your order. Orders over $25 ship for free, so you can put more gas in your tank or beer in your cooler. For all things fly fishing and tying, elevate your game with Avid Max. For over a decade, Smith Creek's high-quality fly fishing accessories have helped anglers just like you to keep your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. Their award-winning Rod Clip Plus now has two ways to attach it to your vest or pack, making it easier to tie a fly, change a hook, or release your catch. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough, using rugged materials, and backed by their strong commitment to customer service. This fall, Smith Creek is introducing even more new products, so keep checking their website at smithcreek.co for more information and special offers from now through Christmas. Yeah, so I did do a remote for a while, and it was better than not having one. And I did it the way you you do it, Austin, for a while, and that was miserable. Hey, I mean, man. truly miserable. And I would just get, I would just <laughs> like, I would like catch a decent fish and be like, ah, it's not worth it. And oh. just like let it go, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you know, because like I've got I've got so many old photos of out of focus fish. Yeah, out like, of focus. Truly, yeah. truly, it goes so with many. the territory. Yeah, yeah. and so. <laughs> 
So now, and I'm surprised you don't do this, Bill. I guess it's because you don't carry the R5 very mm-hmm. often. But if you did it, I think you would switch permanently because it's so, so wonderful. And mm-hmm. that is, the, the R5 can do, you know, some some like Sony cameras and such, some of them can do like a, a video shutter speeds up to 250 frames per second. Uh, the R5 can do 120. Wow. And so it, it's still fast enough. It's certainly fast enough. Yeah. It's still, to, it doesn't to freeze. To stop it without it being blurry. It doesn't freeze drops, but it's close. You know what I mean? Well, and so it's essentially, if you if you compare it to photo, that's the same as still. it's the same as shooting one you over one twenty. You mean drops of water? Yes, exactly. I'm just trying to clarify so people yeah, know what good. you mean. No, it doesn't that's freeze drops, but it woo, it's close. It, it'll it's, almost seem like completely frozen drop of it's water. It's close. You'll Soft. see like a slight. You'll see like a slightly moving drop of water kind of thing at one twenty frames per second. Exactly. And so if you're shooting yes. photo, that's the same as shooting like one over one twenty. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what I do is I. And this is certainly dependent on the camera you have. Mm-hmm. And most cameras can't necessarily do this. Certainly not Austin's. <laughs> hey, now. Nice. Ni- Nikon guy. <laughs> Don't feel bad, Austin. It's all right, bud. It's not your profession, you know? Yeah. But, I, but I've got a preset. I've got a preset in my camera. I'll switch to C1M, which is, or C, C3M, I'm sorry. So, which is my setting for 120 frames per second. And it's all set up so that I can just hit record yeah. and it will autofocus on the fish. And it doesn't matter how far away from the camera I am. Mm. If the if it senses, the camera's pretty dang smart. If it sees me moving something into the center of the frame, then it's going to assume that that's what mm-hmm. it wants in focus. And so it's going yes. to autofocus that. I could, I, I use the flip out screen and I think that everybody should, if you're wanting to do this kind of thing, use by a camera that does have the flip out screen because it's so ridiculously helpful Mm -hmm. but i set it to 4k i set it to 120 frames per second Mm -hmm. i hit record i back up i take my time i get i look at the screen and i can see the composition of the photo which we'll talk about later but um i put the fish where i want it i lift it out of the water it catches every single drip that happens i put it back down and i let it go i don't even have to go and check to make sure yeah that it's right because i know it got everything. It got everything mm-hmm. that happened. And whatever mm-hmm. was close to the center of the frame, which is like the default, essentially, was is going to be in focus. And so once I move the fish into the center of the frame, it's yeah. going to lock onto that fish. And then it's going to follow it. What focusing <clears throat> mode are you using for that? Good question. It's it's the auto eye. And so okay. the R5 okay. has like an auto so, eye focus. And so it focuses but, on the eye of the... And, and and sometimes like I've I have run into that's amazing. Inst- I have run into instances where it tries to focus on my eye, but almost never is my mm. face in the photo. Almost say, never, right? Right. Like but I want it the... to be. Yeah, that's the that there is a like slight stipulation there. Like if you like, it will try to focus on your eye if that's what it's set to. But but the fish's uh, eye is closer and in, and definitely closer to the center of the frame, and uh, you've just moved it, it into it. It Bill, won't. That doesn't work for you. No, I disagree with that. So if you if you are holding up the fish and your entire body is if in my, frame, if your face is in it, but I'm telling you, like for the way that I shoot it, I don't keep my eye in the right. photo. Right. I like it to I be the about the thing. fish, and in, you're yeah, yeah, you are the same. Like almost none of your photos have your face in them, and so this yeah. would work for you because it does a really good job at picking up what you're trying to put in focus. And you lift it out of the water, it picks up every drop, and then when I'm going in and post, like it's it's like. The fish is in focus no matter what. And I just pick mm. the drop that I like the best, you know? Well, so to be clear here, just so people understand, you are shooting a video, a short, yes. possibly five to 10 second video. Mm-hmm. And then you're going into that video and selecting the frame of that video 
And there were 120 of them per second, correct? Yes. Yep. You're selecting one of those, your favorite frame to be your, your photo. Yeah. And it, and yeah. f- for what we're using it for, yes, if, if I were trying to get a perfect shot that I was going to blow up and make us this really beautiful print of, I would yeah. want to take an actual manual, you know, photo. Sure, sure. And sure. collect all the data that I could for that yep. photo. That would be even but, better. Yep. Yes, but for the compression that happens on Instagram and Facebook yeah, and yeah. anywhere that you're going to post this photo, you're not going to lose any quality. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I do it. And um, and it really does. Like I'll do like two lifts and I'll let the fish go. Mm. And I really don't even go and check the camera first. I just and I, you know it's uh, there's been a couple times over the years that that's come back to bite me. And I've been like, oh shoot, like. I had the lens set on manual focus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dang it, you know. But pretty much always, it gets the fish in focus, and and that is because like you would have to change the focus setting if you if you wanted your face in it as well. I never mm. do, and so it's always generally. Um, I'll go through a little bit more. Like I don't carry a tripod. Well, usually. you do. I mean, I always bring. I always I always bring it to the bank, and I always just like take three seconds to come up with a level, like a somewhat level no kidding. way to lay the camera hey, down. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, it really is. It's not all that. I, like not Austin that hard, said, huh? I really love it being low to the water. And so I love yeah. it when I can just like walk over to the bank and lay it on the bank and I'll put a stick under the lens and that kind of sure. thing. And I'll just lay it down gently and hit record. I do mm. like those low water shots. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. And a tripod always kind of raises it. I've, take, I've definitely taken the feet of the tripod and put them in the water. Trying to give everything lower. Yeah, That's I've neat. tried. I, I'm surprised by that. I thought you would have had a little tripod. Yeah, I, I've, I've tried a handful of different things, and I've decided, like, I, it just does not make enough difference for me to want to carry it. And so I always find a place to lay it down. And I do what you do, Austin, where I, I've got the short handle one. I don't stab it into the bank. And because there's just not always a place to do that. And, Bill, you said you'll kind of move up and down the stream to do that. And that's well, Bill fishes clubs, and they usually have like those sculpted banks. <laughs> they, they have tripod, yeah. They they have preset tripods, and <laughs> they have tripods. They have, tripods on the they have little neck clamps. <laughs> yeah, they just right by the feeders. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, they have <laughs> uh, little neck clamps for the every ten feet on the banks. That's just good. slide your net into it, and they got your a guide little, can always just hold it for you too. <laughs> Press a button on your vest, and they'll send out a photographer. And, That's you know. right. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> a little walkie-talkie. I think we're on the one down There here. we go. The, the trout bitten club. <laughs> no, um, <I> know. <laughs> but what software do you use to to pull those images from? Like, yeah, is that something question. you have to pay for, or is that a free? No, free that you can no, use. No, you can use anything. So you do have to have a some kind of video processor. So, like, for a while I was using Premiere Pro, now I'm using DaVinci Resolve. You can do the free version of that, and you can do it just fine. You can use any free version of any video yeah. editor to pull a still from a from a file. And most people won't want to do this. Like, I've got all my presets are already in, like, C-Log, so they're collecting all the color they possibly can. And so, mm-hmm. like, they're going to look super gray when you open the file. Mm, yeah. Um, but, uh, but you just, you know, Drop a Rec seven hundred nine filter on them, and so but don't do that. Like hey, no. they don't do don't do that. Just just have your color settings like have it set to whatever you want, auto white balance, and and all that. I don't know. Josh sounds a little too easy to me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <Yeah. laughs> it's a lot easier than what you're doing. <laughs> I'm envious of what you got going on. Austin's more of an artist, you know, a struggling artist. 
<laughs> starving artist. That's good stuff. I'd love to keep going on that. We could, again, we may in the future, you know, do a full podcast delving more into the details on this because there's a lot more on how you take those fish selfies. I've learned a couple things right there. Even about the net handle, I like that, Bill. That's a pretty cool idea. It feels a little restricting to me. I just pinch it between my legs and it's perfect. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah, did. Sometimes though, there's a lot to do. I think I'd be kind of freed up if I could just jam the handle into the bank. I gave up on the the short handle. I I went over to take a fish picture, fish picture, and I had the short handle, and I couldn't wedge it into the bank, and I lost yeah. one of the biggest fish I caught last year from a river system. It, I sat I because I had nothing. Like I tried to wedge the the net stub between my legs, and did you lose the net? No, away went the fish. Was not happy and threw a little temper tantrum and spiked my net and yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'll use that if you don't want it. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> if you didn't throw that away. Chop it, it in club water could uh, keep that on staff or on <laughs> for the staff. Yeah. Anyway, let's change gears here a bit then. We've already touched on some of this, but whether our subject is a, is a trout or especially if it's scenery, how about some mm. tips on composing a photo, guys? What are the nuances that lead to, let's say, more interesting photos? How can we lead the viewer's eye through the photo with some artistry for me i i try to if i if i want to take a scenic photo i want something in the foreground that's somewhat interesting and then the background is also interesting and so one of the pictures that i take the most often is like i'll sit my reel down my fly yeah. rod and reel and so it'll be in leaves or it'll be on a rock or something and so i can either choose to blur the background out to make it look interesting that way or i can raise my f-stop and have majority of the photo in focus then you can see the rod and then maybe the back maybe it's a scenic backdrop of a river maybe it's a waterfall maybe it's you know pick your poison i use a lot of your photos bill on the trout and website you do a nice job uh finding those foreground elements and uh setting that up. I kind of struggle with that, to be honest. It's like something in my eyes that doesn't see it that way, you know? And I have to almost artificially set it up sometimes or really look hard for it. You seem to see it more naturally. I think most of the lenses I shoot are are wider angle. And so if you, let's say you, the one lens I have is a 16 millimeter lens and it's extremely wide. And so Mm -hmm. if I don't find something that looks somewhat interesting in the foreground, the image will just kind of look blah because it's just mm. it's just everything. Like, like, yeah, too much there almost. Yeah, yeah, it is, yep. With such a wide field, yeah. Yeah. I think about the rule of thirds a lot uh, when composing the right photo, on. which essentially nice. means that whatever you want to be the focal point of the photo looks best when it's slightly off-center. Um, yeah. It kind of leads your eye to um, not just straight into the middle of the picture. And I often, too, like to take advantage of the zoom function the best that I can. So kind of like Bill was saying, if it's too wide out and there's too much in the photo, it can be distracting. So if I'm taking Mm -hmm. a picture of a reel or something on the bank, I may zoom in so close that all I see is like the the curvature of the metal of the reel itself and not necessarily the the entire reel Um, and and get down and low. And, you know, the best zoom you have are are your legs, right? So you're not uh, approaching from a far distance and trying to get a a crisp photo. Get as close to the subject as you can for myself. and uh, just try to try to take something that 
uh, maybe you wouldn't see uh, standing at uh, regular height walking around during the daytime. Mm. Take it from a perspective that would be would be a new angle for someone when they see it. They think, oh, that's a whole other level than than I would expect to see yeah. that at. I like low. Like I think I think we probably all do. Like mm-hmm. just low to the ground, low to the water. Like it just yeah, yeah. it looks different. Like if you can, I don't, one of the coolest things is if you can show somebody a picture of their fa- like a, a river they fished a lot. And they can't recognize that photo because you've hmm. taken it from a different angle because they've never seen it from that angle. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I, I like what you said there, Austin, with the rule of thirds. I, I, I could, even if I don't hit it just right when I'm actually photographing mm. something on the, the camera, I will go in and if you use Lightroom, whatever you use, I actually don't even know what others look like because I've always used Lightroom. When you're going in and you're going through those photos, I will move every single one to ex- either, <laughs> I mean, either exactly on one third <laughs> and the subject facing inward towards the majority yeah. of the photo. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, like, if you're holding up a fish, if it's a fish, if it's your face, if it's the subject of the photo, like, always facing inward towards the majority of the photo. That's cool, right. You know, if it's a third. Yeah. You don't, like, it looks ridiculous if if your subject is facing towards like that the outer perimeter that mm-hmm. one that one third yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. and so either Backwards. that or, or either that or dead center right on and and then perfectly level level with a river and Ooh, we're, we're talking point, about rivers Josh. that's really important like yeah. yeah like get get your horizon perfectly level and that's really easy to do mm-hmm. with point. any any editing software if you don't yeah, get it perfectly in body yeah the software is a big deal too it is its own creative uh, endeavor you yeah know? Mm-hmm. And every software is a little different, but that ability to manipulate and edit your photos and your videos, oh my, that's, I enjoy it. It's its own creative work in the end. I had a college professor, I, I, I took a very rudimentary photography class and hey the, the guy who taught it, <laughs> the guy who taught it was also one of my English composition professors. His point, I remember his point kind of being the same. When you're when you're writing, you don't try to just like in this podcast. We're I get it. We're in this one. We're covering a lot, right? But normally we try to focus on one thing. Especially in the skills series, we say, okay, we're going to talk about the strike zone, and that's it. We're going to talk about how to lead flies, and that's it. Whatever, one topic, one small detail. Focus on that. And yeah, he made that point with the articles. So he said, when you're writing, that's what you want to do. And then he he, he made the same point about photography. Like you said, Austin, and Bill, you brought up the 18 millimeter, 16 millimeter. It can be way too wide. You got really too much there. Mm -hmm. Get into your subject. And to me, those seem to be some of the most, well, some of the more interesting photos that I end up taking are the ones that I'm right there, right into my subject, whatever that is. Getting close, getting the other stuff out, you know, in the background. Josh and I, I think, shoot a little bit differently. I think most of your stuff is very focused and very tight. Meaning like you're where I shoot more, I guess, wider angles and like there's yeah, more, there's totally more, agree. there's yeah. more in the scene, so to speak. Mm, and so like, there's nothing has to be, it's not written in stone that you have to do one or the other. Like there's room for everything. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You, one of the things I love about what you do, Bill is like, I, I really do like the wide angle kind of like look and that seems to be like the the majority of the photos that you take are 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 a little bit wider and they show the whole thing and they give this really unique perspective and 
there's not one way to do it. There's a couple like rules of thumb. Like if your goal is depth of field, mm. then get as compressed as you can. Meaning like if your goal is to get that focal range as narrow as possible and have as little of the possible as focus and draw all the attention to one spot mm. in the photo, then you need to, mm. with most lenses, like if you're using a, a, a lens that is variable, like it goes from 24 to 70 or 70 to 200 mm-hmm. or whatever it is, like then you need to go in as tight as you can. And then that means getting farther away from your camera. Like if I'm shooting, like I, I really do, most of my shots are 50 and and further, like 50 to 70. Um, even when I'm taking fish selfies and what that does is, mm-hmm. and, wow. and, and, and the way that it differ, differs from like what Bill does is it does not include as much of the photo. And so there's yeah. a little bit less mm-hmm. room for creative foreground mm-hmm. and background and stuff. There's not as much room for that, but what it does do, mm-hmm. and this is why there's not one right way to do it. And it's yeah. just like a preference thing. And so my preference is like to have a really shallow and tight depth of field. And like, I want everything out of focus essentially, except for what I want your eye drawn to. And, and that's again, just a preference thing. And so to do that, like you want to, and we can talk more about this in the future, but like you want to keep your aperture as wide as possible. You want to keep your ISO as low as possible. Shutter speed doesn't matter so much in terms, in terms of actual depth, but you want to zoom in. Like if you're using a 24 to 70, like you want to zoom in all the way out to 70 if you want to get the most compression possible, if you're using a prime lens, like what Bill was talking about earlier, and it doesn't matter so much, but you want to have that aperture as wide as possible. And if you can't get it as wide as possible, you add a filter or something so you block more light Mm. coming in or you increase your shutter speed so that you are making that shutter open and close as fast as possible and so that you're letting in less light and so that you can get that depth of field. I enjoy all that stuff. I like your stuff is because it's like, you know the focal point of every picture you take because it yeah. is it is very mm-hmm. like the way you talked about it it's yeah. very methodical like you've you've looked at the scene oh, yeah. and you said okay this is the most important thing and let me zoom in on it and everything else is basically null and void mm-hmm. right yeah it, it's let there's a little bit less room for creativity with like the foreground and stuff that you were talking about but there's it's just it's just a different style yeah you know Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. Well, Josh, I've seen you do what you just talked through when you and I feel. And there I yeah. am standing there talking about something, and you're you're pretty far away. And I'm like, you're going to be close enough? You're like, yeah, I got you. Like, shut up. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you are at that 50 or 70 yeah, it's hard to believe or maybe sometimes. further millimeter yeah yeah and i'm like oh i guess we're gonna get a lot in the background no <laughs> you know he's in tight and he's got a plan yeah and it just it increases the compression of the image yeah i like that it, yeah. yeah you do have a plan and you and i have had so many conversations now about these things and i follow it i get it now like i, mm-hmm. I do there's yeah. a lot of it that i get it i'm not experienced enough to like almost make my own decisions in a way 
but like I get it, and it's uh, I'm at that stage where I'm learning, I suppose, quickly, and I'm kind of e- real eager to understand other people's ideas about this stuff. I was thinking, guys, that we'd talk about this exposure triangle. I don't know that we can. I mean, that might be foolish to try to really get into that. I think we but, can touch high level about like what what it is because mm-hmm. we've we've kind of danced around it. Agreed. So it, really, any research around better photography and using camera gear is going to inevitably lead to an understanding of this exposure triangle. And we have certainly touched on this. And that's how these three parts of photography, the shutter speed, the aperture, and the ISO all work together. And I'll say, I think there's nothing more valuable than being familiar with how these three elements really do work together. And for me, I got a good grasp. I, honestly, I kind of put it off for a while. I was like, that's complicated. I don't quite get it. But my friend Clancy actually gifted me a camera and then said, you have to learn to shoot in manual. She said, I'll give you this, but you have to, (laughs) you got to shoot in manual. You got to learn it. And I was like, okay. And that was my first DSLR and she was great. And being hands-on like that and forcing myself really only took a few days to really get, start to get some grasp over it. It really taught me pretty quickly. And I really haven't looked back since. And I do understand like the things you're talking about. Guys, now let's talk through and explain a little bit, just a little bit. That's all we can really do is scratch the surface on why this is so important. Yeah, we'll muddle through it. But if you really want to learn it, go out and like yeah. the best way that I learned oh, how yeah. to do this is go out and like watch YouTube videos of actual photographers. There's so sure. many, there's hundreds of videos, thousands of videos out mm-hmm. there that talk about mm-hmm. this. So we're just going to briefly touch mm-hmm. on it, you know maybe each of us can take a take an item so i'll take aperture so aperture or f-stop is basically your depth of field so the lower the number meaning f2 means that whatever you're focusing on the rest of the rest of the photo for the most part is going to be somewhat blurry if not very blurry um f22 would mean that almost all of the image is in focus but what you lose at that higher f-stop is you start to have images that are not quite as sharp. You know, there there's a cost to everything, right? If you sh- truly want to get the sharpest image you can, if you go out and look up maybe the Im- the lens that you're shooting with, a lot of times there's videos on YouTube that kind of go through your lens that will say, okay, your, you know, I know that, hey, my lens is the sharpest at f8. And so I'm going to take my images at f8 if I want it to be the sharpest. You guys know if this is true. Is the uh, <clears throat> sharpest your lens can perform, is that often half of its max? I've heard that before, but I don't know if that's true or not. I think it's about what it, usually f, somewhere between f7 and f10, but it depends on the lens. Some lenses only get on to F nine, but like Yeah. I didn't know if that was just a rule of thumb or not. I think it's I think it's pretty close. Uh that's a great question. I don't know. And I think that there is there's obviously a ton of benefit to having nicer equipment on this front. And yeah. if you buy a and I, and I, for we're gonna get hate because most a lot a lot of people love Sony and I don't know anything about like Sony glass and Sony lenses and Sony cameras I don't I don't know the specs on any of that stuff really because I've never shot Sony but if you're buying a, a Canon L series lens then you're really not gonna lose any sharpness no matter where you're at on the spectrum 
Like it's 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 much more about the look of the photo that you want. And so Bill was just describing the aperture, and most people are going to know that. Most people are going to recognize the term f-stop, and that's really just a term used to denote the aperture measurements on your camera. And so like f-stop is the same as as aperture. And and if you're like talking about an f-stop 2.8 and aperture 2.8, then that's going to be pretty wide open. Mm-hmm. And to describe what that means to people really briefly, sure. there are blades that open and close in your lens. And the wider that they are able to open, the lower that number it will be. And so mm-hmm. like a 1.2, 1.4, 1.8, 2.8, if it's a if it's a prime lens, it might get down into the ones. If it's a lens that will go from one number that's to another. Low. Yeah, that's really low. Those are low numbers. Yeah, yeah very low. Like 2.8 is... That's be your shallow depth of field then. Yeah, yeah, very, very shallow. Maybe too shallow. Honestly, maybe too shallow yeah. for some images. Yeah. Like 2.8 is a really low number and that's kind yeah. of like a the baseline for any lens that is going to zoom to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. But those blades open and close and the width at which they open is your aperture. And then the speed at which they open is your shutter speed. And the ISO is the uh, your camera's compensation for the amount of light in order to digitally manipulate the photo to be brighter or darker. And so you're letting certain amounts of light in. And the more light you let in, the shallower your depth of field is going to be. If you're letting in a bunch of light, which means your aperture or your f-stop, same thing, Mm -hmm. just to make that clear, is lower, let's say 2.8 as a baseline, Mm -hmm. because most nicer lens can do that. Most zoom lens can do that. Middle of the day, it's going to be a lot of light. That's Mm -hmm. a lot of light. And so what you have to do to compensate for that is is keep your ISO as low as possible. And in terms of ISO, most cameras have a base ISO, or you'll hear it called a native ISO. That's the ISO at which the, the camera can produce the highest quality image, meaning the least amount of digital manipulation, which mm-hmm. is going to uh, give you the most uh, dynamic range, which means it's mm-hmm. collecting the most amount of data. If it's mm-hmm. dark, like, the, like your black point and your... Your highlights, the the least amount of the image is going to be blown out or not recoverable. Yeah, yeah. And so you want to keep your camera, unless you're shooting in really low light, you want to keep it as close to the native ISO as you can. I try to keep for my camera, I try to keep my ISO as close to 100 as possible. I was going to say, is that always going to be down to 100? It's going to be native. it's going to be lower than you think. Like it's it's going to be low. I've got 100. You know, in terms of what your camera yeah, can do, yeah. it's going to be low. Mm-hmm. I think he's bragging. And, does your Nikon have fifty? No. That's <laughs> the lowest I have. Quit it. You're interrupting Josh. Come on now. If you want the highest quality photo you can get, you want it to be as close to the native ISOs or baseline ISO as you can. That makes sense. And in a lot of cases, it's going to be like an ISO of one hundred, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's two hundred. You know, but rarely is it higher than that. Some Sony's have a dual native ISO, and so, but Canons don't have that. That's a Sony only thing, I think. So you want to keep your ISO as low as possible. You want to keep your shutter speed's not super important. That's just a look of the photo. Like how much motion blur do you want in the photo? Sure, sure. And then you want your, if you want depth of field, you want your aperture or f-stop to be the lowest number possible to get the exposure of the image that you want, hmm. which is as close to zero as possible. So you'll see like if, if you open your camera, you'll see an exposure gauge 
that it's going to be like plus one, plus two, plus three, plus, minus one, minus two, minus three, zero. And yes. you want it to be as close to zero as possible. And and you can find that gauge if you just go through the settings in your camera or the view options for your camera. And uh, that's going to collect the most data for you so that you have the most to work with in your photo. And it's going to be the most exposed, properly mm-hmm. exposed photo. And, and if you want, like, and this is where Bill and I differ a little bit. And so if you want the most depth of field that you can, you want the most open aperture that you can and the lowest ISO that you can. And if you want the entire photo to be in in focus, mm-hmm. then you're going to move up towards like F11, F22. Thinking, yep. You know what I mean? And that's going to that's gonna make the majority of your photo, like if you were to open yeah. your, think about like a, your iPhone or your, you know, if you're yeah. a weirdo like Dom, your Android, mm-hmm. like right. you're going to open your camera and you're going to take a picture without portrait mode or anything like that right. of a scene. It's going to have everything in focus. That's <laughs> the equivalent to focus. having, yep. exactly. That's the equivalent to having like. That's what a GoPro and, does too. Exactly. That's going to be like having a f-stop of like 22. But what that does mm-hmm. is it lets in a lot less light. And so. If it's a cloudy day, which are most of our favorite fishing days are, I know. then you're going to want to open that up a little bit more. And to compensate, if you do want to close that more and so that you have more in focus, then you up your ISO. And that depends mm-hmm. on like your ability to collect the right amount of light without adding noise or grain to the photo. Because that's what mm-hmm. happens when you add your ISO. When you increase the ISO, you increase the risk of grain or yep. noise. Not and intentionally, most, but that's the consequence. Exactly. Because it's digitally adding mm-hmm. light, essentially. But this goes back to what we were talking about with the fish selfies. Mm. If you want to guarantee your fish is going to be in focus, then open your or then mm. close your sure. aperture. You know? Sure. Like you want to let let less light in because the F nine or something. Exactly. The less yeah, light more. you let in, the more chance of that fish being in focus. And if you mm. want both your face and the fish to be in focus, then open that up. Because That's what you're, you're going to get it exactly. He li- he but if you want, sure. but if you just want like three spots on that brown mm-hmm. trout's face to be in focus, then you want mm-hmm. it to be at like one point eight. <laughs> and if your lens can only do two point eight, then you want it as open as possible. You want your ISO as low as possible, and that's where like filters come into play, you know. And so like if it's a bright sunny day, but you still want to keep that closed, then you have to add a mm-hmm. filter to your lens to block out the light so that you can still have your camera settings collecting all the data you can but you're blocking manually the amount of data that it can collect with a filter what does nd stand for you're talking about neutral density neutral density filter yeah Yeah. and what that does is is it you you've got different amounts of light that a filter lets in and if it's a variable neutral density filter then you just adjust it and it changes the amount of light that you let in but essentially it's like a there's he's holding one up <laughs> he did back pocket. Just sit, he just up. pulled one out of thin air. In my pocket. Where did that come from? <laughs> 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 he just keeps an ND filter on hand. As you, <laughs> oh my god, it's one of the old ones. Sitting <laughs> my beer Is that on a beer it. coaster. <laughs> no, it's an ND filter. <laughs> and good. so it lets less and less light in, depending on how dark that filter gets. It's the same as a pair of sunglasses. When you, you know, were rotating that, that's uh, what you were doing right there. Yeah, exactly. So it got gradually. It's like goes from completely gradually lets less light in. Yeah, and there's certain stops. A good mm-hmm. baseline if you're looking, if you're like, I can't afford a variable neutral density filter, but mm. I want to have something to add to my lens that lets me get depth mm. of field on a sunny day. Then get something like an like a. It's it's measured in stops. 
And yeah, so yeah. like a three-stop neutral density filter is mm-hmm. going to be a decent one to get for like a mid-sunny day. That's mm-hmm. three stops right there. You guys can't see it, but they're looking at it on our camera. You can get packs for pretty cheap, um, or you can buy really expensive ones that don't degrade the clarity of your photo at all mm. and uh, don't add vignetting to your photo and don't change the white balance. If you spend less money and you buy the cheapest ones, you might mess up the actual coloration of your photo with a neutral yeah. density filter. But that's a lot of information in a short time. That's good stuff, right? And the purpose of the triangle, like the Josh just explained this, and in case in case somebody missed it, the nice. way it's explained in a triangle is because each point of the triangle balances out the other. Mm. So when you change one variable, yeah, uh, it's always comp- you're always compensating for something. So either you open the aperture yeah. and you need to adjust the shutter speed to account for that aperture change. They all work in tandem. Uh, it's not like you can just crank one up and leave the rest alone often. Uh, mm. So it's it's always moving as one machine. I like right. that. And there's a point that 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 reminds me is if you're gonna try the video version of taking fish selfies. With video, generally, you want to have like your shutter speed be double your frame rate, and so that that's a limiting factor in video, and because you you're dealing with a certain amount of light, and if you know that I'm only mm. going to pull a still from this, then that doesn't matter so much because you're not looking for like a, a, a like a visually pleasing video, like continuous shot. But if you're so maybe that's not even worth leaving in there because like if you're going to use video just for the actual photo, then that's not important. Mm. But if you're planning on maybe even using it as video, then you'd certainly do need to make sure that your frame rate is double your shutter speed. Or yeah, so sixty and one twenty, for yeah. example. Yep, exactly. <laughs> there's there's only just a few things left to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. laughs> could go on while we're yeah, on shutter. Bill. Yeah, while we're on shutter speed, talk about the reciprocal rule. And so, mm, what's that? So if you have, let's say, so I shoot a 24 millimeter lens. So if I were to take a static, a picture of a static object, I can shoot with my shutter speed one over 24. And as long as um, my hands aren't crazy shaky, I will, for the most part, get a sharp image. Hmm. So for the most part, when I shoot the wider angle lenses, that allows yeah. me to shoot a lower shutter speed and get a sharper overall picture. Is that right? I always thought it was yeah. like around one sixty. Well, sixtieth. It, it and so it it depends. So like if you're depends that. on what your zoom is. If you're shooting at a hundred millimeters, mm. then you have to shoot at one over a hundred to I get a, okay. to get a base sharp image of like a static of a of a mm. static photo. And so and that's kind of like a minimum, right? Like yeah, that, yeah, like, that's the yeah. Base. You don't like you would never want yeah exactly like that's the that's essentially like representing the slowest your shutter can be to get yeah, a, yeah. A, a crisp photo. So there's with the uh, IBIS or in body stabilization of both camera and lenses. With the like for instance, when I shoot with the the R five you get a couple stops from the camera, you get a couple stops from the lenses. So I can, if, if I want to, I can almost shoot one over, I can shoot one over four or one fourth of a shutter speed at 24 millimeters wow. handheld. And I can get sharp. I can get sharp images. Get out. And Seriously. because of, yeah, because of the in-body stabilization. And so, mm. but this is, this is just a base, but now we're talking, now let's move into like, 
photographing fish. Fish don't like to stand still, obviously. You can pick them out of the water. They'll always have some sort of motion or whatever. Mm. And so when I'm shooting, uh, let's say on a 24 millimeter lens, if I'm shooting a, a photograph of a fish for the most part, I want it to be at least like one over 150 is my shutter speed. Most times if I can, I'm going to shoot at like one over 250 because then I know I'm not going to have to worry crisp. about any motion blur. It's going to be yeah. crisp. That's like my baseline too, Bill, is one over 250. It's like what yeah. it's always set to for photo. Mm. Yeah. No kidding. And, and so I only adjust it for the sake of light. And so like if I want, uh, you know, my camera, the R5 and the RP have like a burst mode that you can set it on where you can basically yeah. just hold the shutter button down and it'll just take pictures. What I've started to do lately just to try to get some cool and just different images is I go to let the fish I go to release the fish and I'll yeah. bump up that shutter speed to like one over 500 and I'll mm. just hold the shutter button down and it'll just take, you know, as many photos per second as that camera can take. And so I get like that burst mode. Not always is the fish super in focus, but sometimes, you know, when you let that fish go and the tail kicks and it like mm -hmm. splashes up water. Occasionally you'll get like that really cool image, but like I'll spin through today. I took 250 pictures of like, I don't know, 12 fish because when I release the fish, I'm taking like 10 photos of just, you know, within like a second yeah. of that yeah. fish getting released. I like that. There's a lot of good ideas there. There's not a whole lot of drawback to speeding up your shutter speed. Yeah. Honestly, like there's really not except for light. Like, and so yeah. as, if you can compensate for your light with your, between your aperture and your ISO, you really can shoot it one over 250, one over 500 with no problem and no degradation mm. of your photo. Yeah. But you can really freeze every drop. Like one over 500 is going to freeze every single drop. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. One over 250 is going to freeze a drop, you know, almost. Mm -hmm. And so basically like to the naked eye it's going to if you zoom yeah. in maybe not but that's cool. so that's why if my camera's set on photo mode then it's pretty much always one over 250 because i because i just know like it's going to freeze normal movement now if it's a if it's something moving really quick then yeah you want to bump it up to one over 500 like bill said but and if you were taking i don't know family photos or something like that you probably wouldn't have such a high shutter speed i do or, 250 is not that you? high 250 is not that high. And so, like, he's got, he's like, got yeah, kids. I, he needs to, like, one over 800. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta slow him down. Honestly, like, That's two, good. like, if I'm, like, 250 is like my baseline. No kidding. Like, I don't, I don't really go slower than that because I just know it's gonna, movement's not gonna be my problem because I don't oh. want movement to be the problem, you know? And, and it, there's no degradation of the photo quality as long as your light is, as long as your exposure is good. Mm -hmm. And, um, the more you spend, like the RP has really decent specs, and that's why Bill and I recommended that you guys all buy the RP. It's because yeah. the, the specs are like decent enough in terms of its ISO ability, and that's a that's a big factor. And when you're buying a camera, it's like, look, mm. what's your what's the ability of your camera's ISO? Like how how much can you introduce without introducing grain and noise? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and that's a big deal. And like with the R5, there's the limit is so high that it's like, I'm yeah. not really worried about noise. Like it, I can choose whatever shutter speed I want hmm. to freeze the image because noise is not going to be the problem really. Quality of sensor. Is that what that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. One so, of the biggest differences. Yep. We should probably talk real quick about 
sensors. So Josh and I both shoot on full frame. Austin shoots on a crop sensor, I believe. Mm-hmm. And yes. so the D7 D7000 you said? Yeah, that's what it is. Cropped. Knuckle dragger. Yeah. Austin my RP is full frame, baby. Hmm. <laughs> See me. It's as cheap as you can go. It's still be full frame. <laughs> <laughs> now you're speaking my language. No, they may they may they yeah. make a cheaper one now, I think. Maybe Do they? send me anyway. that one. My my Pixel, my Google Pixel is surely not full frame. No. <laughs> and neither but, is that GoPro. I guess that kind of talks about sensor size. So like the GoPro, the cell phone, like the yeah. the crop sensors, like the, the sensor size is like the bigger the sensor, the more light it can let in. And so kind of the, the lower ISO and the lower grain that you can shoot at, then that allows you uh, to get cleaner images or more crisp images. Makes sense. You know, the other thing, it, it, before we get out of here, Josh, you have constantly reminded me how important the glass is. And I'm like, come yeah. on, man! Like, I don't want to spend eight hundred dollars on a on a lens. That or, would be really so be much re- more. That would or be so a much cheap more. lens. I know exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm like, I'll spend eight hundred dollars any day. <laughs> I know. Like, what's? I'm like, what's the? It's glass, man. Lens. It looks pretty clear to me. I don't understand. I still don't understand how something can be $500 or $2,000. It's glass. It's clear. It looks good to me. Oh, Like, how can it matter that much? Next time I'm up, I'll bring you a prime lens mm-hmm. and you can, and you can shoot with it for whatever. I'll bring you the 35 1.8 and you can mm-hmm. see the just, I, guess so. I really like prime lenses because sure. so back to the whole carrying thing, the prime lenses for the most part, unless you're getting down into like F 1.2 or 1.4, they're much okay. lighter than the zoom lenses. And so they're easier that's to true. carry. So like the, mm-hmm. the 16 millimeter lens that I have, that's a prime is like, it's basically a pancake. It's not quite a mm-hmm. pancake, but it's pretty close. And so if mm-hmm. I want to carry and be light, that's the main thing that I, I don't know. I look for sense. what I'm carrying instead of carrying like that big, 24 to 105 or 70 to 100 mm-hmm. or whatever big zoom if i carry mm-hmm. a prime lens it's much smaller and much lighter one of the big things that you pay for when you're buying expensive glasses like yes the, the glass is is higher quality but almost none of those cheaper lenses have like high quality image stabilization so that's part of it rarely can they open up as wide and mm. um and then yes, the actual like the actual glass and the actual build quality is is higher, and certainly like the uh, the ability to uh, weather elements is a lot higher. And so like if a just speaking of Canon, because that's what I know, that's what I use. Like if you buy an L series lens, which is like the top of the line, it is going to be weatherproofed, and it is going to have image stabilization. And it is going to be the highest quality glass they make. And it's going to be the most robust quality they make. Mm. And all of that together combined makes for a better photo. You're saying then it's not just the clarity of the glass. It's not just like the clarity said, of the glass. Image stabilization and yeah. ceiling, I suppose you're saying. Ceiling against weather the Weather ceiling, yep. That makes more, yep. a little any, bit more any, sense. Any L-series glass from Canon is going to be weather sealed. And, mm-hmm. and so it's going to dust and water are not going to like you can yeah sure you're going to damage it if, if you submerge it like for a while you know but if it drops in the water and you pick it up it's probably going to be okay you know hey josh to get your dream set up how much money would you spend 
mm. camera and, and for, for video or for photo? It's different. Uh, video. Let's go video. Yeah, video. I'm, I was going to say for photo, I'm pretty close to what I would want. Is that right? It's a lot lower number. Yeah. Once you get into the cinema line of cameras and stuff, it gets a lot more expensive. But we're talking for like the ideal, like a set of anal- anamorphic lenses that are at a fixed focal length. <laughs> you're talking you're talking $100,000. I was going to say, you're talking $50,000, like, $100,000, yeah, no, you're, you're, $500,000. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it yeah for, for a setup like that, it gets really, really expensive. $100,000. Um, for photo, it's it's obviously very different and you don't need as much. Like, I'm very, very happy with what I have. Like, you could, mm-hmm. if you if you go up to the, like, the R, R1, which is the 1DX yeah. Mark, whatever, Mark III, Mark IV, whatever they're on now, of the, the mirrored version, the mirrorless version of that, you're going to spend a lot of money and and for the body you're going to spend i don't know maybe 8000 and then for every L series RF lens minimum is pretty much 2500 on that and it goes up depending on which one you get yeah if you got a set then yeah maybe yeah 20000 could do the trick for mm. photo but it's a lot of money <laughs> Austin will cover that yeah anything else guys what do you have right off that note yeah, please. So, it's not always what you have. It's how you use it. Right, fellas? There you oh, go. Oh, yeah. So, you could spend all the money in the world <laughs> and, and still take some pretty bad photos or take some pretty bad, uh, uninteresting <laughs> video. That's, that's so <laughs> it's the same thing as an expensive fly laughing. rod, right? It doesn't catch oh, any more that's fish. That's so true. So, that's if right. you're discouraged by the equipment that you have, just remember, it's, it's up to you to make uh, the image come alive. And as long as you can expose a photo and, and get proper, um, mechanically take a photo well and, uh, you know, set it up, you can do a lot. It always comes down to telling a story, right? Again, yeah. that college professor said the same thing <laughs> when you're writing an article. What story? What is your point? What is your point? What, is, what story are you telling? And especially with, the, you know, the video work we try to do. What's your story? What's it, right. even in one photograph? Yeah. What's what is your subject? What are you portraying here? What's the message? What's the story? Yeah. <laughs> you don't need the highest end fly rod. You don't need the highest end glass, Josh. But it helps <laughs> <laughs> if you That's know what you're doing, does, right? Yes. That's right. There's a lot more here. They do, oh you know, yeah. This is cool. It'd be kind of neat to get you guys in and do a full uh, skill series on this. We'll see what kind of... Let us know, everybody. If, you know, if you're interested in, in this stuff a little bit more, we could definitely do a lot more on this topic. Hey, Josh Darling of Wilds Media, will you read us out? I will happily read it out for you. Please. Remember, the Trout Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. Tropitan website hosts over 1,000 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and tags, too. Be sure to find the Tropitan YouTube channel, now featuring the Tropitan Tip series, the Fish and Film series, and the Tropitan Flybox series, all in collaboration with Wilds Media. He's bragging. Wilds Media. There it is again. He talks about himself. Thank you all the time. for listening to Trout Bitten Podcast. Please shush. Please shush. Rub it in. Please give the show a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a comment because that really helps. Yeah, it does. Thanks for your comments lately, everyone. Until next time, friends, fish hard. Enjoy the day. 
and find better friends <laughs> on the water. <laughs> hey now. That was pretty good. I like that. We've established that I catch bigger trout. That's the important thing. And you take better photos. It's, you know, whatever. Some point. Thunderhead. Thunderhead. We're back to this. So it's come to this. Oh, buddy, I'm with you. Shallower. Shallow yeah. depth of field. Shallower. Yeah. And especially if you have a big fish like I always catch, then the head's so big that part of the head would be out of focus. Unbelievable. Don't get ahead of him, Austin. You just be patient, bud. Shameless. I caught one down here. Hey, now.